0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. There is hope, guys, (laughs) girls. Hope for our marriages. Hey, welcome to Faith Today. It's so good to have you this morning to come and worship the Lord with us. What a great spirit here in the house today. Take your Bibles out. We're going to go back and look at Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at how it all began, how God formed the marriage, how he started it. And uh, take a look today at God's Word. Genesis chapter 2. And let's stand together this morning for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 2 and verse 18. After seeing that little video clip, now you have a warped idea of Adam and Eve, and so now you can relate to the characters, I'm sure. The Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with his flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Father today help us Lord as we look at your word this morning. Open up our hearts and minds. I pray, God, for marriages here today, that every family, every couple represented here today, that you will minister to them. You'll speak to us, I pray. And if there are those who are hurting and going through difficult times, I pray this will be a time of healing. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great today, and then you may be seated. little boy heard the story of Adam and Eve. And he heard how... God took Adam's rib and with that just one rib formed and made the woman. That little boy was out playing one day. He's running hard. He's running fast. And he got one of those pains in his side that you get when you run too hard and you exert yourself too much or too long. And so he got one of those pains and he ran home as fast as he could. He said, he said, mom, God's going to give me a wife. I want to tell you something today, God did not give Adam a pain in the side. Gave Adam a partner. Gave him a help And God designed the whole thing and he set the whole thing up when he made it male and female. He created Adam and Eve. In fact, in verse number 18, he, he looks at his creation and he said, It's not good that man should be alone. All the men said... Boy, some of you guys were weak out there. Ladies, just, this is their chance to shine. Not good that man should be alone. In the text, there are seven times previously when God said, it is good. And he made this and said, it is good. He made something else and said, it is good. God's goodness has a desire to give to its object. Because God is good, he gave. Goodness has to have an object to receive that goodness. And so with man, when he makes man by himself, he said it is not good that man should be alone. Why is it not good? Because he would not have an object to show his affection to. Just like God in all of his creation always had an object to to show his affection to and he'd make something and say it is good but adam who was formed in the image of god had no one to, to say it is good or to show his affection to or show his love to and therefore he says it's not good for a man to be alone because he has no object for which to show his affection to it's not good verse 22 and it says that god made woman Now it says made in the New International Version it it literally should be translated and God fashioned a woman and so he takes and he forms and uniquely designs a partner for Adam and he fashions her and he designs her and he creates her to be the completer to Adam's life and so not another Adam God makes Eve different intentionally because of all of our weaknesses men because of the things we're not very good at He makes woman different to complete us, to fulfill us, to to, to different. Verse 22, it says, and he brought her to man. God gave away the very first bride. There was nobody to walk her down the aisle. It wasn't a, a father walking her down the aisle for the marriage ceremony. God is literally the one who gave the woman to Eve. He is the first one to give the bride away. I want to tell you, you've got to believe that God has given you your wife. God is the one who gave you your wife. And when you understand it from that perspective, when you join together in marriage and and, in holy matrimony, it is God who gave you your bride. God gave Eve to Adam. And then in verse number 23, it says, this is now, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Let's, let's read verse 23 together. We stopped at 22. It says in verse 23, and the man said, this is now, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. In other words, he is saying, this is now my wow. This is my wow. God, this is your gift for me. This is Wow. Adam had looked around. He had named all the animals. And the Bible says he saw in naming all the animals and the aardvark and the platypus and all those weird names we got today. In naming all the animals, he saw there was no one else like him. And and so when Eve is brought to him, he says, wow, or this is it. This is it. None of the other animals could do, but now, wow, this is it. This is the one you have made and created for me. Husbands, I want you to do something right now. If your wife is with you, turn to her and look her in the eyes and say, wow. Wow. Now now here's the problem. We have some marriages today that have lost the wow factor the enchantment's gone the the mystery's gone the the excitement's gone and, and some of you may even have a little even difficulty with that exercise because the wow factor just doesn't seem to be there and it and it's gone and it's not like it used to be and the, the flame's not burning as brightly adam realized that eve is god's gift for him and so husbands when you look at your wives uh, you've got to look at her as a gift that god has given you to complete your life uh, different from you uh, Fashioned, formed uniquely by God and uniquely for your marriage. And so when you look at her, there ought to be that, wow, thank you, God. Verse 24, keep going. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now notice when, when uh, Moses writes this, reflecting on Adam and Eve, they didn't have fathers and mothers. But I think he knew that in-laws could be such a problem, he put it in there right away, right out of the gate. <laughs> Even before there's a such thing as an in-law, he knew it could be a problem. He says, for this reason man shall leave father and mother. Cut the apron string. Leave father and mother and cleave only to the husband. And they two shall be one flesh. Now the word in, the, in, in NIV, it says be united to her husband, it says cleave in the King James Version. I like the old King James Version, the sound of that cleave, leave, and cleave. This reading shows cleave to your husband. And it literally means in the Hebrew language, it has the idea of, of being glued to or stuck together or cling to. And the inference is so strong in the word cleave, it signifies permanence. You don't enter the marriage with an escape clause. There's not an escape clause. You're not looking for a way out. You're not looking for a a new start. There are no escape hatches. And so for that reason, let me just throw this out right now. And we're just still in the introduction. We're going to get to the the meat in just a moment. But Listen to me. Never say the word divorce in your marriage. Don't ever speak that word to one another. I don't care how angry you get, how upset you get. Take a walk. Walk around the block. Cool off. But don't let the divorce word come out of your mouth. You're speaking death to your marriage. The husband and wife shall cleave, cling to, hold on to, permanence, no escape hatches. When you marry, it's like going in the door of a submarine. When you marry, you take that plunge uh, never to open that door again. Right? When you're underwater, you're not going to open the door to the submarine. And so when you marry, you are taking a plunge that says, I will never open that door of escape from my marriage. Now, I, let me just, I know there's many in here who have gone through the heartbreak of divorce. And and, I, and probably of, of all the people sitting here, you are nodding your head as strongly about how painful and how hard divorce was. I think it's something that when you got married, no one ever intended to get a divorce, but it happened. Now, now the good news is God's a God a grace and God's a God a mercy and God gives second chances and, and, and all that is true in the Word of God. It is completely true and there and yet I know sometimes when I talk about marriage, uh, it brings up painful memories. Some of you got a divorce because your husband or your wife left you and you were simply abandoned. And through no fault of your own, you're, you're by yourself or you had to remarry or whatever the situation may be. Others others of you were in a painful marriage and your husband or your wife cheated on you and they were unfaithful to you and they were unfaithful to your marriage vows and you went through just incredible pain of rejection, incredible pain of divorce and heartbreak and, and, and it was hard on you and, and for some of you, maybe you just grew hard in your marriage. You know, the Bible says that that, that there's divorce... Because of the hardness of our hearts. And so we get hard and we get selfish and we get prideful and we don't forgive one another and we don't, we don't apologize and we don't work it out and it's like two people fighting for their own territory and eventually they grow further and further apart until divorce becomes what they think is their only answer. But listen to me, whatever led to your breakup, whatever led to the pain that you went through, God's grace is great. It is greater than our hurt, it's greater than our pain, it's greater than our past. God's grace is great. He loves you. God can redeem your past. And God can give you a glorious future. For, For all of us here that are currently married. For everybody in here who hopes to get married one day. Let me say it again. Don't ever talk about divorce. Don't ever talk about divorce. There's an answer in Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. Billy Graham's wife was asked if she'd ever thought about divorce in her husband. And she answered it this way. No, I've thought of murder many times, but never divorce. <laughs> it's a great answer. Don't be looking for a way out. Don't be looking for a loophole, but look for a way through, uh, through with Christ Jesus. Uh, If God can take Jesus Christ, uh, a dead body, three days, uh, and raise him up from the dead, he can take your dead marriage uh, and breathe life into it again uh, and bring it back to life and fullness and fruitfulness. God's a miracle worker. The principles of God's word work. Let me tell you, This book has a whole lot to say about marriage and about relationship. God's Word always works if we obey. He says the man who obeys the Word of God is like the man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms came, uh, the house stood firm. And so if we will obey the Word of God and follow the Word of God and do what God's Word says, your marriage can work. Now, he goes on in verse 24 and says, For this reason man will leave father and mother, and they will become one flesh. One flesh, of course, the first connotation that comes to our mind is that physical union between a male and a female. But you know what? The The Bible says that our bodies are body, soul, and spirit. And I believe that one flesh process goes on and on until it's not only coming together of our bodies, uh, but we come together emotionally and we come together spiritually, and that is the ingredients that God will use to give us a fruitful marriage. I found a great quotation by Charles Shedd in his book Letters to Philip, and he describes marriage, and he describes it this way, and see if this doesn't ring true or ring a bell in your own situation. Two rivers are flowing smoothly and quietly. Until they come together and are joined. When this happens, they clashed and they hurled and they threw themselves at one another. As the newly formed river flowed downstream, however, it gradually quieted down and flowed smoothly again. But it was much broader, more majestic, and it had much more power. Isn't that great? And that's kind of the way marriage is. It's two independent streams, two independent lives uh, uh, coming together. And and, and often we clash and and our preferences clash and our ideas collide and we contend for power in this kind of brand new relationship that is formed. Uh, But if you will allow it to take its process out of that struggle will come something deeper and much more powerful than if we were alone by ourselves. When I do marriage, when I do premarital counseling, and I say, listen, the only reason you guys are getting married is because you can serve, to serve God more effectively as a couple than you could as individuals. It's synergy. You combine your efforts, and, and you serve God in a greater way than maybe you ever could by yourself. And if that's not the reason for your marriage, don't get married. Because everything we do is Christ-centered. Everything we do is kingdom-minded. So if you're getting married just to have fun the rest of your life, you've got to, the marriage the wrong idea. But when two people marry, even though there are those clashes of waves and ideas and preferences, uh, eventually it becomes a strong, powerful stream that can do more good in the kingdom of God. Now here's the question for us today. How do these two independent, flowing rivers survive the turbulence to truly become one? How do we do that? And this is what I want to talk about this morning. How do we truly become one flesh? How do we make it work? How do we make marriage happen when two people are so completely different, so completely opposite? How do we make it work? And and here's what usually happens the first inclination in a new marriage relationship is to want to change your partner. Ah, straighten them out. They got this problem, that problem. But don't worry, when we get married, I'll work it all out. I'll adjust my partner after all. Aren't we always right? Come on, guys, be honest. Don't we think we're always right? And when I get married, I'll straighten them out for sure. And so uh, and so we, we, we try to adjust them. But here's the bottom line. When you enter into a new relationship, it's not about straightening them out. It's about God... What can you do in my life to straighten me out? It's about God adjusting us and changing us and fixing us so that we'll be a better husband or or we will be a better wife. And so how do we do that? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And look, if you would, at verse number 2 and 3. This is great advice. If every person, male or female, if every person in the marriage relationship will follow these two verses, you'll have no problem in your marriage. That's a radical statement. If you'll follow these two verses, you can have a beautiful, harmonious married relationship. Listen to it. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Five things he says there, and these are the ones I want to give you. Number one, first of all, he says, be humble. Be humble. You're going to make the marriage relationship work. Men, you've got to be humble. It's not all about you. Not about how great you are. Ladies, you've got to be humble. Be humble. You, you see, this Paul's got to write this to the Ephesians because it so goes against our nature. We, by nature, are very selfish. By nature, it is all about me, myself, and I. And so he says selfishness and pride is at the root of marriage problems. It's my way. I'm always right. Selfishness, pride, it enters in. And I believe that is the root of marriage problems. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. He talks about it there to the Philippian church. He says in verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Here's humbleness, humility. consider others better than yourself. Now listen ladies, if you're considering your husband better than you, it'll work. Men if you consider your wives better than you, it'll work. Each of you should not look to only to your own interest but also to the interest of others. And I might insert there also to the interest of your spouse. Listen, guys, this is not rocket science, but we don't do it. Think of your others above yourself. And if the husband's all about pleasing his wife and putting her first, and the wife is all about pleasing her husband and putting him first and looking out for his interest, if you are both doing that, it's going to work. I've heard people say marriage is a 50-50 proposition. No, it's not. It's 100%, 100%. I give myself completely to my wife. She gives herself completely to me. And when we're doing that, it's going to make the marriage work. Putting your spouse above yourself. I I would encourage you, listen, cultivate some shared interest. If you're going to really put your spouse above yourself, you've got to do some things they like to do cultivate some shared interest so it might mean guys listen to me guys it might mean you have to literally go out to eat and talk I'm, I'm, I'm stretching you now men. follow me here stay with me you might have to go out take them out to eat look them in the eyes and really talk let me take it a step further and I I know men you're getting ready to throw things at me but it might mean at some point you may even have to shop with them oh my goodness I know, I know I can see the anger boiling pastor, please be quiet I'm going to go one step further guys it may mean at some point you have to watch a romantic comedy with them oh no I know, I know. I crossed the line there. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just talking about cultivating shared mutual interests. Why? Because you prefer them above yourself. Not about getting your own way. Okay, girls, I got a little bit for you here. It may mean you need to go to one of his softball games. In the heat, burn it up. Team's getting killed. Your husband's fouling out, but you're still there. Oh baby, you're doing great. Drop the fly ball, no problem. I still love you, okay. It may mean, ladies, you do something recreational together. Walk together, kayak together, scuba dive together. Okay, you follow me here? It may mean that sometimes you will watch an action movie with him. All the guys say, yeah. You you see how how different male and female are? And yet, yet, if we do what Ephesians tells us, if we live in humility, if we honor them above ourselves, if both people are doing that in the relationship, you have a relationship that can work. It's all about pleasing the other person. Now listen to me. The Lord has given me a wonderful helpmeet, who completes me, who knows how to please me. And I try to please her, although I don't always succeed. I do as well as I can. But Jeannie typifies what this next point is all about, so I'm going to ask her to come. And she's going to help me. She's going to preach the next point for me. And uh, Come on up here Give her a hand Isn't she great I am so so blessed to have her And she's going to talk to you about The next point in Ephesians 2
1: Well I just want to let you know I am the blessed one Because God has given me a tremendous mate And I'm just so thrilled My wallet (laughs) I, I love this man And he's great to my family and to myself But I just want to talk about The fact of being gentle. That's one of the ways that we really can grow our marriage. And the the other word for gentle is meek. And for so long we've misunderstood the word meek. It does not mean weakness. It means power that's brought under control. And it's the same word used for an animal, a wild animal that's been tamed. And I think of the, the Kentucky Derby thoroughbred. He was not always able to run the race like that, but because his wild nature was broken, and then he was trained, then he was able to become a powerful runner in the hands of that jockey, and our sinful nature, just like that, needs to be broken, and we need to be trained by the word of God. We need to to set aside our old ways and and take in all that God's word has for us. Like he said, this word is our manual. God, it tells us Every way to live. And, and God wants us to be gentle, to have a gentle spirit. That is one of the gifts of the spirit that we can cultivate through relationship with Jesus and by being in his word. So gentleness. Um, it means not losing your temper, guys. When You need to watch your words and weigh your actions. When, when you get frustrated out in the world in your workplace or on the road or whatever don 't come home with those frustrations all built up and then you lash out at your wife she doesn 't even know what 's going on don 't let that anger come out at the one you love you need to find another way to release that but um, yeah, don 't don 't let that come out on your spouse never ever is there a reason for verbal or physical abuse Amen. Right. you need to find if you have a, a problem with frustration or something is, is eating you, find a way to, to burn that off without lashing out at one you love or at any, anybody. That gentleness does not have, give any reason for verbal or physical abuse. An unchecked anger problem will only cause um, devastating effects on your relationship. That's right. That's right. If you do not get that under control, you're going to ruin your relationships and not just with your spouse, but with your family and your friends. It, it leaves a constant sense of tension with your partner. Uh, have you ever noticed somebody who you, you feel like they're always walking on eggshells around their, their mate? They can never just let down and be themselves and have fun, but they're always almost afraid of being yelled at or something happening. That unchecked anger gives, uh, it, it causes that sense of security and peace in your home to vanish. So you don't want to live like that. Nobody wants to live like that. It creates an argumentative relationship, an adversarial relationship, and lots of confrontations. That, that again, God wants peace in our home. Amen. Okay? Amen. And it causes a loss of physical closeness. When you feel that way, there's no way that you can connect and get close with the one you love. It makes you want to pull back. So remember that in... in trying to develop that um, characteristic of gentleness. Also, if you tend to be a bully or a nag, that causes your partner to just shut down. And that's not what you went into marriage with. You wanted relationship and love and, and to, to, um, to enjoy life together. But when somebody feels bullied or nagged, they're just going to pull back away and shut down their heart. Okay. Words spoken in anger cannot be taken back. It's kind of like a flower. When you pick a flower and you start pulling the petals off, you can never put those petals back on. Those words that are spoken cannot be brought back. They're out there, and words can crush your self esteem. In Proverbs, it says, A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? In Proverbs 18:19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man said that he and his wife hadn't fought for 50 years. He said, "When I get angry, I take a walk. I've had pneumonia five times, but never a fight." <laughs> uh, now we are blessed. We hardly ever have had a fight. I can we remember? I, I maybe, <laughs> maybe one or two in the five years, but I think because through the years we both learned to set aside our own selfishness, our own desires, and to learn to put the other person first. So we work through our issues together instead of fight.
0: doesn't usually do any
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Honey, would you read James 1, 19 and 20 for us?
0: Yeah, it says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires.
1: How long will a tug of war last if someone drops their end of the rope? It's over instantly. It doesn't last very long. In fact, the other team will probably fall over because they've been pulling so hard. So, but stop, listen in your argument and maybe even be the first one to say, I'm sorry. Okay? Good. One way to describe um, meekness is that when God's word speaks to you, you're teachable. You want to be God-directed. That's right. That's right. Okay? When you are controlled by the Spirit, when you have that, that quality of meekness or gentleness, you can control your tongue, your temper, and your actions. God wants to bring your life under control so he can grow your marriage.
0: Man. Thank you, man. All right, stay here, because I'm not done with <laughs> Amen. Be gentle. The third thing the Apostle Paul says in the Ephesians, be patient. Be patient. Now, uh, how many of us could be patient if it just didn't take so long? <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> we- Listen. This is a tough one. It's a tough one for me. It's tough for, for us. It's tough. It's tough to be patient. Patient literally means long tempered or slow to heat up. I like that definition. Slow to heat up. And and, and when he talks about be patient, he's not saying man, it's not just about waiting for your wife to get her makeup on and go somewhere. Okay, uh, we know that's going to come with the territory. That's gonna that's a given, and you're gonna do that the rest of your life. Sorry about that. But but when he says be patient with the other person, is, it, is to show a genuine acceptance of your partner. I accept you for who you are. That, that's real, biblical, God-given patience. It's an, a genuine acceptance of our partner. Now, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. So many get married with the idea, I know my spouse has some problems, but I'm going to fix them. Right? Right? Now let me tell you the way to bring about change. Baby, come up here. If, if something's going on in my wife's life, and she's not perfect. She looks perfect, and, uh, but she's not. Let me tell you, she's not. And, uh, but if, 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 if I want my wife to change, or you want your husband to change, the best way to do it is through love and encouragement. And so I love her, and I encourage her. The way not to change your spouse is through ridicule or criticism. Because as soon as I start to criticize her, she shuts down. Because nobody wants to be fixed. We want to come along and fix it. So we think, I'm going to fix my spouse. I'll straighten them out. I'll fix them. And so we criticize and we pick out what we don't like and we attack them. And what happens is they shut down. But if I speak words of love, If I speak words of encouragement, your spouse opens up. And there then creates a platform for change. So patience has to do with with, uh, uh, genuine acceptance of my wife, my spouse, and I honor her, I accept her as she is. And then as I love her, as I encourage her, change comes along the way because all of us need to change. We're always being changed into the glory of God. Now, now, patient carries another idea. Listen to me here. Patient also means I'm not going to give up on that relationship. That's right. Because I'm patient. So I hang in there. And, and if, let me just encourage you, church, listen to me. If you are going through marriage problems now, don't wait too long to seek help. Because sometimes we're in the middle of the conflict and we can't see the answer. We can't see the source of the problem. We can't... Determine what the root is, and sometimes a gifted counselor or someone else can help you in that marriage relationship. So don't wait too long. Listen to the statistic. Only 15% of marriage problems seek only 15% of couples who have marriage problems seek professional help. 15%. Of the 15% that seek help, 90% are actually helped and their marriage saved. So don't be too proud, too egotistical to say, I know what's wrong and I got all the answers and and we're going to make it and we're going to beat each other up and we're going to get through this thing. Listen, there are times that we need help. And so that's why he puts members of the body of Christ, members of the family of God that will help us, lift us up, encourage us, and also see clearly their objective. I I will tell you this, and, and here's the tragedy. So few couples really admit they have a problem until it's too late. And it's gone too far. And the love is gone. Now, I will just throw this out there quickly. And, and Pastor Young, uh, uh, Dr. Young always says, Boy, when you preach on this, my phone starts ringing off the wall. But that's okay. We have a counselor on staff, Dr. Levon Young, who's a professional counselor. And, and if you are having marriage problems, marriage difficulties, you call this office set up an appointment with dr young you can come in and talk to him and he has helped many many couples in this church so i just throw that out there right now while we're talking about it patient be patient listen to galatians 6 9 let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up don't get weary in doing good don't get weary in planting good seeds Into your marriage because in due season you will reap if you don't give up, if you don't faint, if you don't walk away. Let me tell you the principle of the harvest. The principle of the harvest is simply this we reap in a different season than we plant. You plant in one season, there's a planting season, the reaping season comes later, three, four, six months later. Sometimes what we do in a marriage, guys, listen to me, we plant kind words or we plant actions or efforts, we finally start sowing in our marriage, something goes off in our brain and says, I'm about to lose her. I better start being nice. And we say nice words and we do nice things and we expect the fruit the next day. Listen, you've been a grump for 10 years. And you're going to be nice for a week and all of a sudden think you're going to turn everything around? But don't stop being good. Don't stop speaking love. Don't stop being kind. Don't stop being sweet. Don't stop putting her above yourselves. Don't stop being gentle. Be patient because the reaping will come. Okay? Get strength from God who never gave up on us. Aren't you glad God never gave up on us? We blow it again and again and again. We keep doing the same dumb stuff over and over again, and God still loves us. And God still forgives us, and so don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Be patient. Now, the next thing that the writer Paul says is bearing with one another in love. Jeannie, talk to us a little bit about what that means.
1: Okay, to bear with one another in love. That definition is actually to hold up or carry. It also means to hold back judgment or punishment. So it's supportive and it's protective and it's um, refraining from lashing out at them. How do we lift up our marriages? Okay, there's a few points in this that are very important. We need to learn to pray for our spouse and for our marriages instead of criticize. When you see something that's just bugging you, rather than nag and criticize and tell them, you know, you're terrible in this area, pray about it. But don't pray, how can I change them? But God, how, what do you need to work on in me? Maybe... The irritation you feel with, with that particular problem is your problem, not his problem. Maybe there's something in you that's, that is setting you off when those things happen. So ask God what you need to work on. Ask God to fill you with his love for your partner. His love surpasses any right. kind of human love. And right. once, when he gives you a special love for someone, that supernatural love, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cover over a multitude of things. And you won't even see those things. You help each other through your issues. But you don't let that be a glaring problem in your marriage. And you don't criticize. Instead of lecturing, listen. Guys, he said earlier, you like to be fix-it men. Sometimes we don't want it fixed. First, we want to be heard. So after we're heard, then we don't mind if you come along and help us fix it. But don't let that be the first go-to for you. Listen to her. Women, you too. Listen to your men. They come home with frustrations or, or something's bothering, bothering them. Don't come with a quick answer, but let the, listen to them. Let them let you share their heart, okay? Don't assume that you're always right or have the only way to do things, okay? That's so easy to do is to be single-focused or tunnel-visioned. But we come from different backgrounds, different experiences, There are different ways of doing things. You need to bring those two things together. Okay, that's lifting each other up. Verbally build up and do not tear down. You know, an affirmative word can go so far in pulling greatness out of your spouse. If you are always cutting them down, saying what's wrong with them, what they do wrong, this is just going to pound them into the ground. But affirming, loving, encouraging words, draw them up, and it causes them to do things that in themselves they probably think they would never be able to do. But it pulls that goodness, that greatness out of us. Okay? And demonstrate through actions, not just words, your special love and concern. Actions do speak louder than words sometimes. And for no reason at all, it would be really nice one day out of the blue just to surprise your wife with something that you know she's really had her eye on, or just something that would brighten her day, and it doesn't have to be an anniversary, bring her a single flower, or, uh, you know, take her out for a a walk to a a special beautiful place, or something to let her know that you're thinking of her. And women, same thing for you. You know your guys have something that they really enjoy, but maybe don't always have the time to do. You find that for them. You, You think of ways that you can Lighten their load. Encourage them. Show them your love. And do it through actions, not just words.
0: Maybe I will try to do better. (laughs) I know this is for me. (laughs) She's preaching to me right now. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, give give her a hand. Thank you. Paul gives us a fist thing. And he says in verse number three, he says, Endeavoring to keep the unity through the Spirit of God. Now, I know he's writing to the church. I know he's talking about unity in the body of Christ. But I believe we need to endeavor to keep the unity in our marriage through the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, "What's, what's that last ingredient? The meeting point in a Christian marriage is always Jesus Christ. I could, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to let it soak in. The meeting point in a Christian marriage is always Jesus Christ. It's based around Him. That's how we maintain unity through the Spirit of God is because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you've seen, I don't, I don't know if we, they drew it on, the, on your outline or not, but you've seen the, the illustration of the triangle. you got Christ up here, who's the head. you got male here female here husband here wife here what happens when you guys get closer to christ you go up that triangle and automatically by getting closer to christ you are getting closer to each other and if you really want a a harmonious beautiful wonderful godly god-fearing god-honoring fruitful happy exciting marriage get closer to jesus and you'll love each other more. It is incredible the way that works. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? Now listen to me. Jeannie and I, there's a ton of things we will never agree on. So that, does that mean we can't walk together? No, let me give you a, a better definition of that verse. Uh, the key is not necessarily agreeing with each other, but I agree with Jesus Christ. I agree with God. I agree with God's Word. I agree with what the Word of God has to say for my life. Uh, And if I agree with Christ and God's Word, then I can walk together. Isn't that neat? When we walk with Him, we can walk with each other. And that's why she said earlier, pray for your partner, pray for your marriage, center your life. Center your home around the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, I've got good news this morning. There is hope for marriage today. There's hope for your marriage today. Uh, You may think it's done, over, finished. uh, But I want to tell you, there's hope today through the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that. Marriages are under attack like never before. But there's hope for a godly Christian marriage. Marriage is God's idea. He can make it work. No matter how desperate your situation may be, God is able to take your marriage uh, and turn it around. Uh, But listen, you've got to trust in God, and you've got to desire God to do that. You you may be saying, well, well, Pastor, I don't even have the will to try anymore. I've tried so long. I've given it my best shot. The feelings are gone. The love is gone. I, I don't even have, Pastor, the will to do it. Listen to what Philippians 2.15 says. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. You may not feel like it. You may not like to have the will or the emotions anymore. But it is God who works in you to will and do his good purposes. God can do it in you. God can even give you the will. God can give you the strength. God can change your heart. God can do all those things. Your marriage can be healed. Your home can be transformed. If you'll start by letting God renew your mind through his word and through the spirit of God. That's good. That's good stuff. I've shared this illustration before, but it's so poignant. When they make oriental rugs, every oriental rug is full of mistakes. But when a mistake is made, it is woven into a brand new pattern. Right? And God can weave your mistakes into a new tapestry if you will surrender to Him. There is hope today for your marriage. I'll say it again. There is hope today for your marriage. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Everybody standing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Our musicians, go ahead, come on up. Thank you, mighty God. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithisyear.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.